0: To support this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support buddha or visit Wisdom.com, where you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online learning resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Now, here's our teacher to share more. Hello, everyone.
1: This is David. I'm sharing with you some unique content today. This is an interview by Dr. Cheryl Selman. She has a podcast titled Love Code, and she invited me onto to her show and asked me several questions related to the teachings of the Buddha. I thought I would share this with you because I'm sure there's something that you'll benefit from listening to this podcast, and perhaps this might be a podcast that you share with others so that they can get an introduction to some of the teachings of the Buddha. Thank you for listening
2: hi everyone this is dr cheryl zellman and welcome to the love code thanks for joining me for another wonderful and inspiring conversation this podcast is really dedicated to providing inspiration upliftment healing reconnection to the power that we have within and to truly understand the light of our soul and as always this is an opportunity to really be reminded of the power that we have for our healing and the greater purpose for which we have come into this world. And today I have another wonderful conversation all the way from Chiang Mai in Thailand. My guest today is David Roy Lance, and we're going to explore how to attain enlightenment from a Buddhist understanding. So first, let me share a little bit about David. So David Reulenz is a dedicated practitioner and teacher of Gautama Buddha's teachings, who has been part of the Thai community since 2001. He visited Thailand for the first time in 2002 and brought the traditional Thai healing arts back to the United States to share with people in the Western world. This traditional Thai healing arts center, located in Washington, D.C. area, provided traditional Thai healing arts to clients and educational opportunities to students to explore the Thai healing arts, Thai culture, and the teachings of Gautama Buddha. David is a published author with books on the topic of traditional Thai healing arts and the path that leads to enlightenment. And David has taught Gautama Buddha's teachings since 2005 in the US. In 2015, he closed his businesses and relocated to Chiang Mai, Thailand. To be closer to the Thai culture and the Thai community of Buddhist practitioners. David shares Gautama Buddha's teachings with household practitioners and ordained practitioners in Chiang Mai and around the world through courses, retreats and special events providing guidance to help people attain enlightenment, a peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy. So it's my great pleasure to welcome David to the show today. So David, thank you for being on the Love Code all the way from Chiang Mai, Thailand.
1: Well, thank you. Pleased to be here. I appreciate the invitation.
2: And I'm so glad we were able to connect with you. I came across you, I don't even know how I found you. You know, it's one of these destined connections. Uh, I was somewhere on the internet, you came across my path, and I was fascinated by what you're doing, and, and really the depth of work you're doing and the teachings that you're sharing. You're very committed to this path, I can tell. So I thought it would be a great opportunity to talk about the Buddhist teachings, to really share the wisdom within this tradition of Buddhism and I always like to start by asking my guests a bit about their own personal journey that brought you to this path and ultimately brought you to what you're doing here in Thailand.
1: Sure, I'd be pleased to share that with you. So I was born in Washington DC and I grew up in Southern Maryland which is in the United States of America and I grew up in a very turbulent household with a lot of difficulties, a lot of problems, not really much parental guidance, and I really struggled. Through that struggle, I always encountered significant problems in relationships, and I didn't understand why the people that were supposed to love me treated me the way that they did and why our family wasn't more peaceful and more loving. And as I grew, I got into all kinds of trouble and eventually ended up, for one reason or another, started spending a lot of time around Asian people, like Filipino people, Vietnamese, Korean, Chinese, Indonesian, different countries in Asia, even though I was living in the United States. And people always mentioned to me that I would really probably get along well with Thai people if I ever met Thai people and. At that time, I didn't even know what Thailand was. I thought they were really talking about Taiwan. I was like, you mean Taiwan? What do you mean Thailand? They're like, no, if you ever go to Thailand or you meet Thai people, you'd really probably like it there. So not too long after that, I met somebody from Thailand and I was like, ah, it's a real place because here's somebody from Thailand. And I ended up coming to Thailand in 2002. And I opened my eyes to a completely different life that I always kind of craved or desired but I didn't know that it existed and I didn't know where to find it. And truthfully, once I came into Thailand, I didn't really know what I had found. I just started to observe that things were very different in Thailand than they were growing up in America. I was taught all throughout life that it was money and cars and possessions and lots and lots of relationships and prestige and really high job title. All these things would bring happiness And by the time I got to Thailand, I had already pretty much had those things, but I didn't have the peacefulness. I didn't have the joy or the contentedness in mind. I also didn't have the understanding of how to develop healthy relationships. But what I saw in Thailand is I saw families that pretty much had very little, but they were very happy. They were very peaceful. They were very content, very loving very helpful to each other. So I had kind of discovered something in Thailand, but I didn't know what it was at that time. I thought it was Thai massage and the Thai healing arts. So that's what I brought back to America to share with people. And as I was sharing this in the local community and helping people receive Thai massage sessions, which is a very unique type of massage, people started asking to learn Thai massage. And when I started being interested to teach it, because people were asking for it, I knew that it wasn't just a technique, it was a part of a culture and that culture of Thailand was really informed by Buddhist teachings, you know, Buddhist teachings are the roots of everything in Thailand. So as I was starting to teach Thai massage, I was teaching Thai culture and Buddhism. Students were signing up for Thai massage classes, but they were also receiving this other education in Buddhism. And what I noticed is they were coming back more and more for the massage, of course, and the massage education. But they were very interested in Buddhism, which required me to then get more and more into understanding Buddhism myself so that I could then share it with the students. And ultimately, I had decided very early on in about 2005, 2007, that I would be living in Thailand long term, that U.S. wasn't a permanent thing for me. So in 2015, that was the final move to Thailand. But this time of being in Thailand starting in 2015 and observing firsthand on a long-term basis of how the Thai people interact in their country and in their society. Because prior to that, I was just coming for two weeks here, you know, four weeks there, going back and forth. I wasn't really fully engrossed into the culture and into living here the way that I started in 2015. And through learning the Buddhist teachings, you're able to completely eliminate all discontent feelings like sadness, anger, frustration, irritation, annoyance, guilt, shame, fear, boredom, loneliness, and all these other discontent feelings. And through going through training and Understanding the Buddhist teachings and training the mind, you can observe that these feelings are gradually diminishing and then eventually they become eliminated from the mind where you no longer experience those whatsoever. So, this was the solution that I was looking for all these years from as early as age four, six, eight. I was very interested in understanding how to live a better life and a peaceful life and how to have a loving family and healthy relationships. And it was the Buddhist teachings that helped me and allowed me to understand how to do that and then observe the improvement to the condition of the mind and the condition of my life through learning, reflecting and practicing the teachings.
2: That's so interesting. So for people who don't know much about Thailand, tell us a little bit about it. It is a Buddhist culture.
1: Yeah, so the surveys say that 95% or more of the people here consider themselves Buddhist. And Buddhism has kind of split into different schools and many different sects within those schools. But the original source teachings of Gautama Buddha, who lived over 2,500 years ago, are contained in what we call the Theravada tradition of Buddhist teachings. Theravada means teachings of the elders, and there's about five primary places that practice these, but they've really been spread all throughout the world. Of course, Sri Lanka, Myanmar, Thailand, Laos, Cambodia, and Southern Vietnam are kind of like the real focal points of these teachings, but you really see these teachings all over the world because they've spread. And then there's other traditions of Buddhist teachings as well that have kind of gotten further and further away from what the Buddha actually taught. But here in Thailand, it's the largest population of Theravada Buddhist practitioners and teachers. There's over 30,000 temples here, and the landmass is about the size of the state of Texas. And in that 30,000 temples, there's about 300,000 ordained practitioners. And then those ordained practitioners are then sharing the teachings. And there's also teachers like me that aren't ordained, that we also share these teachings with the local community. And now with the internet, we can share these teachings even beyond Thailand. Because of these teachings being shared, what you find is you find people understanding how to live a very harmonious life, a very peaceful life. Because the teachings of the Buddha are not actually a religion the way we might think of a religion. The way that I think of a religion is rites, rituals, ceremonies, worship, you know, there's some organization that's collecting up the teachings and disseminating those, and then people are practicing these rites, rituals, ceremonies, and worship. But that's not the way Buddhist teachings are. There's no centralized organization, and all these individual temples have been created by the local communities. So the Thai people have donated land and supplies and resources and financial support and their time and effort and energy to create this national resource or this national treasure where now there's temples that dot the whole landscape of Thailand. So in Thailand, when somebody has difficulty with their husband or their wife or their children or problems in their career or whatever it is, rather than going to a psychiatrist or going to get medications or things like this, they go to the temple and they talk with people that understand these teachings as a way to gain wisdom of how to make wiser decisions and how to understand the world around us to then be able to live harmoniously with others. So these teachings are shared in these temples but they're only shared when people go there and ask or request for teachings. Their teachings here in Thailand, they're not pushed onto people, but instead the Thai people have chosen to create these temples and then the people go and learn. And then as they learn these teachings based on their own interest, you'll see that the community of people are then practicing the teachings in a way that it's very peaceful. It's very harmonious here. People understand that they're responsible for their own feelings and their own emotions, and they're not looking to burden other people with whatever feelings they have. Instead, they're learning how to manage those feelings and make wise decisions. So there's a lot of peacefulness. There's a lot of respect for elders, there's great food here, the weather's wonderful, the cost of things is very minimal compared to other parts of the world. You find that the Thai people are very service-oriented and very interested in helping other people. You see a lot of camaraderie in communities where instead of one person judging another person and talking down and Being arrogant and egotistical, what you see is you see communities of people coming together, supporting each other, and helping each other rather than trying to push each other down. They're all working together to kind of uplift the entire community.
2: That's so inspiring. You know, because Buddhism is more a way of how to be in the world, unlike the Christian doctrine or other monotheistic religions, it's really not a religion, first of all. It's a way of to find peace in your life, which can lead to deeper states of awareness and connection as we quiet the mind. So it's a very different understanding of how we can move through life, right? It's it's a very different way than in the Western world. You know, in fact, there are 30,000 temples, I didn't know there were 30,000 temples, And, and they're all such amazing spaces for peace and healing. Whenever I've gone into a Buddhist temple, it's, uh, it's a place of great beauty.
1: Yes, the way that I think about a Buddhist temple is, it's really more of a community center where people gather in order to hold events, and yes, their sharing of teachings if people request those. But there's other things that go on at temples as well. As you mentioned, you know, I don't consider Buddhism to be a religion, it's really a way of life. And what the Buddha did is he didn't teach rites, rituals, and ceremonies that you believe and then you get some result when you die. Instead, what he did is he shared wisdom about what we call the natural laws of existence. He's explaining what's happening in the world in terms of how this natural law of kama or karma is interacting in the world, and because of an unenlightened being's unawareness or lack of wisdom of the natural law of karma, then we make decisions that are unwise and they produce unwholesome results. It's just like when we were growing up, we didn't understand the natural law of gravity. And because we didn't understand the natural law of gravity we made unwise decisions we didn't tie our shoes we didn't look at the sidewalk we didn't really know how to ride a bike and we kept falling down we kept hurting ourselves or we knocked over a glass and spilled water or what have you and we cried and we got discontent and we you know really struggled and have difficulties in the world but slowly but surely as we aged we gained wisdom of this natural law of gravity And because of that, we started making wiser decisions about tying our shoes, about looking at surfaces that we walk on, about placing certain special objects in a location that they wouldn't be easily knocked over and broken. And because of this wisdom, our mind now awoke to this natural law of gravity and we're able to make wiser decisions and we're able to experience more wholesome outcomes. And with that lack of wisdom, we made unwise decisions that produced unwholesome outcomes. So what the Buddha is doing is he's sharing with you the wisdom of this natural law of Gamma. It's not punishment and rewards. Instead, it's cause and effect or action and result that when we make certain decisions, there's going to be a certain result or a certain outcome. So when we understand this natural law of Gamma, of cause and effect, then now we can make wise decisions that produce wholesome outcomes. So his teachings are independently verifiable. There's nothing that you believe in the Buddhist teachings. He's providing you wisdom that his mind awoke into these natural laws. And then when you learn that wisdom and you start understanding it and reflecting on it, independently verifying it, and then practicing it with the guidance of a teacher, as you gradually learn this wisdom you can see the truth for yourself that it's working to improve the condition of the mind and your mind becomes more and more peaceful and as you start making wiser decisions in the world then you experience more wholesome outcomes by eradicating the lack of wisdom or what's called the ignorance or the unknowing of true reality by eliminating this from the mind and arising wisdom in the mind Then we learn why we experience anger, why we experience sadness, why we experience the difficulties and struggles. And now, once we understand the why, now we can make wiser decisions based on this natural law and experience more wholesome outcomes.
2: You know, Buddhism is really an ancient way of doing psychotherapy in a sense, because it's teaching a path of how to find more peace in your life. And how to navigate through life in a way that you can achieve more of a quality of well-being, of peace flowing with life rather than this struggle and pain that comes because we just don't really know how to deal with all the situations we find ourselves in. And, you know, in the studies that I've done with mindfulness training and some of the Buddhist teachings, it's been very profound for me too, because it is allowing me to move more into a place of observing my responses, observing other people, less attachment to outcomes, trusting just being more grateful in my life. There's so many things that I've learned over the years. So for people who don't know much about the story of Buddha, maybe you can share just you an know, abbreviated version of who this man was and what a profound mission he brought to the planet.
1: Sure. He was born over 2,500 years ago as Siddhartha Gautama, and he was born into a royal family in a region of the world that today we consider to be Nepal or Northeast India, that kind of region, that delineating line between Nepal and India didn't exist. It was just a region of different kingdoms. So he was born into this royal family and he was destined to become a king. But his father had gotten some advice at his birth that said that he would potentially be a spiritual leader. And his dad didn't like this. So his dad sequestered him into the palace and tried to kind of woo him into the ways of being a monarch. He gave him, you know, wonderful food, lots of entertainment, amazing fabrics for his clothing, you know, beautiful women bathing him and all kinds of things that he would never be able to acquire any other way. So at the age of 29, he was about to become the king. And during his lifetime you became the king at the age of 30 not when your father died so your father kind of retired when you got to 30 and you became the king so at the age of 29 the young Siddhartha Gautama realized that he had never been outside the palace and he was about to be the king and rule over these people so against his father's wishes or knowledge He went outside the palace and he started to observe things about the kingdom that he never was exposed to before he saw an aging person he saw a sick person a dead person and he saw this aesthetic or this person who was working on experiencing a more peaceful life so when he saw the aging person he saw this discontentedness this sadness and this despair same thing with the sickly person you know there are people that were around this person and very much in Displeasure and despair, and then of course with the dead corpse, you know he didn't understand these things because his father never exposed him to people who were aging, sickly people, or a dead corpse. And he had this attendant with him, and he asked him, you know, what is that? He's like, oh, that's an aging person. You know, what is that? Oh, that's a sickly person. That's a dead person. And then Siddhartha Gautama saw this discontentedness, and he realized that he was going to be ruling over all this sadness and misery because he didn't see that in the palace that he was in. So then this fourth observation that he had was this aesthetic or this monk who had given up worldly possessions and kind of was seeking a better understanding of life. And he decided in that moment that that's what he was going to do. So when he returned back to the palace, he knew that he was going to leave and try to seek this better understanding of life But he didn't quite understand why his mind was experiencing the discontentedness that he was experiencing and why these people in the kingdom were experiencing this discontentedness. But he understood enough that he knew if he awoke his wife, because it was nighttime, if he awoke his wife and his child and kind of hugged them and kissed them goodbye, that he would struggle with leaving the palace. So he kind of looked in on them at nighttime and then left the palace. And he left with his prized horse he really adored this horse and his attendant and then when he left he eventually got to the point where he told his attendant to leave and he let his horse go he cut off his hair because during this lifetime the royal family would grow really long hair this is how people knew that they were part of the royal family they didn't have pictures to share with people in the kingdom to know who the king was They just knew that if someone had really long, beautiful, flowing hair, this was a member of the royal family because they would be the only ones that had the wealth and the money and the time and the servants to be able to take care of the hair. Common people like us would be out on the fields working and sweating and laboring. We wouldn't have time to take care of this long, beautiful, flowing hair. So by cutting off his hair, it's like I'm never going back. And then he took up training with two different teachers. And these teachers were teaching him all kinds of different aesthetic practices, like hanging himself upside down from trees, piercing his body with metal implements, starving himself. The thought was that if you could transcend the physical pain of the body, you could get to enlightenment. And Siddhartha Gautama realized that this wasn't true because after two years of training, his mind wasn't any more... Peaceful and content and joyful than it was when he first started. So he went out on his own, and in the forest, he reluctantly accepts some food from a particular young lady and her her mom. And he starts to realize this middle way that when he was in the palace, the central desires and all these pleasures that he had didn't lead to. Uh, contentedness and happiness. It led to continued discontentedness because he was indulging in these central pleasures of food and clothing and material possessions. But also these aesthetic practices of depriving the body of things wasn't successful either. So he discovers this middle way where he can bring the mind to the middle and he can hone it and he can train it through what he ultimately discovers as the Eightfold Path. This is the eight individual steps that he shares as part of this training to be able to understand this life practice and train the mind. And he eventually gets to enlightenment. It took a total of six years, and he gets to what we call enlightenment, where the mind is peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy, no longer experiencing any discontent feelings. So all anger, sadness, frustration, irritation, annoyance, guilt, shame, fear, boredom, loneliness, shyness, resentment, jealousy, all stress, anxiety, all these kind of discontent feelings and others are eliminated from the mind. And he tries to make a decision of whether he should share these teachings with the world or go back and continue to be part of the royal family. So he contemplates for seven weeks under this tree It took him six years to get to enlightenment, but people attribute this tree to his enlightenment because he spent seven weeks kind of contemplating whether he should share these teachings or not, where ultimately he spends the next 45 years of his life, which is the remaining time of his life, because by this time he was 35 years old. He spends a total of 45 years teaching, and his total life was 80 years. He died at the age of 80. And over the course of those 45 years, he shares these teachings with others. And because these teachings aren't based on belief, you can observe the condition of the mind improving yourself. Other people knew that they were getting closer and closer to enlightenment and ultimately getting to enlightenment because you understand what it feels like to be angry and sad, for example. And then when these teachings and practices gradually move the mind to where you no longer experience any anger or sadness, then you know that the mind is enlightened and they knew that this individual's teachings had helped them to get there and he was declared to be a buddha and there's three things that are the primary factors that determine if you're a buddha or not a buddha is someone who attains enlightenment on their own so they essentially acquire the teachings through their own efforts their own pursuits they then dedicate the rest of their life to sharing their teachings and countless people get to enlightenment during their lifetime. And then they leave the teachings in such a condition that after their lifetime, countless more people can get to enlightenment. So, he met these three criteria. He attained the teachings and attained enlightenment on his own. He dedicated his life to sharing these teachings and countless people attained enlightenment. And he left the teachings in such a condition that additional people after his lifetime was able to get to enlightenment. So this is what a Buddha is. And they're a teacher. They're just a human being. They're not a Lord, they're not a savior, they're not a prophet, they're not a messenger of God or anything like this. They're a teacher who's sharing a path to train the mind, understanding the world around you, and get to this point where you've trained the mind so well that it no longer experiences discontent feelings. It is enlightened and it experiences peace, calm, serenity, and contentedness with joy for the rest of your life, never again experiencing any discontent feelings.
2: Well, that's certainly uh, something that so many people in the world are looking for, right? This is where we're at right now, and I don't think it's ever changed really throughout history that people are searching for peace searching for a place of inner well-being of calmness and you have to train yourself to do that maybe in thailand it's different because the whole energy of thailand is based on these precepts of buddhism so it's easier to move into places of acceptance and gratitude and allowing things to be in our culture We're taught to strive all the time, and we have so much anxiety and stress because we're always trying to achieve or be better or not good enough or all the things that our culture instills within us. So it has an impact, right? Those ways of being in the world, of being stressed, of feeling not good enough, of feeling you have to achieve more, be more competitive, has its impact on our health. It has an impact on our relationships. It has an impact on our sense of overall well-being. And ultimately, we get to the place where that's really what's important, not caught up in that world of our Western culture.
1: Yeah, what tends to happen with all beings, including human beings, is we learn behaviors from other beings, from other human beings. You know, a squirrel learns how to be a big squirrel from other big squirrels and small monkeys learn how to be a monkey from other big monkeys. So as human beings evolve and we grow up from infancy, we learn how to be human beings from other human beings. So if we're in a culture that is very stressful, lots of anxiety, lots of anger, lots of hatred, you know, lots of greed or things like this, this is what We tend to conform to because we see what's going on around us and we kind of conform and adopt those same practices. But becoming enlightened and learning these teachings is to ascend above that conformity. An individual who's not interested in rites, rituals, ceremonies and worship, they're not interested in just being a follower and they're not interested in conforming to what society has laid out for them they do really well with these teachings because you need to independently verify them. And you're kind of rising above the murkiness of the world. And even though people around you might be hateful and vindictive and jealous and resentful and greed and aggressive and bitter, when you learn these teachings, you learn how to ascend above that murkiness, no longer clinging or holding on to a particular culture or what you've been taught in the past in this conformity that we see within certain cultures where people just kind of conform to what other people are doing. So by living here in Thailand, yeah, there's millions of people that are practicing these teachings and looking to be living in harmony and peace with each other so you can observe how these teachings are practiced in a culture like this because there's so many people that are practicing them but it's also possible in other cultures too to ascend above this murkiness and this conformity and just doing what everyone else around you is doing Because if you realize that what you're currently doing is leading to stress and anxiety and difficulties in life, then you know what you're doing isn't working. And if you're looking for something new, rather than doing what you've been doing in the past, if you're looking for this better way of life that is well-tested, it's been in the world for over 2,500 years, and it's been here in Thailand for over 800 to 1,200 years, it's well-tested and well-proven. Then by learning the teachings of the Buddha and incorporating them into your life, you can ascend above this murkiness of the world and go beyond this anxiety and stress and difficulties that you experience, and you'll be able to see how you can cultivate a mind and a life that is very peaceful and joyful.
2: Well, you can see how Buddhism has spread around the world over the last, I don't know, 50 years, maybe more. There's obviously a hunger for that place where we can find more peace, more healing. I mean, our mind is quiet when our emotions are calm. We support the body in its ability to heal as well, physically, which is an essential component of healing from any condition, any health condition. You have to quiet the mind and you have to let go of your anger and your resentment and all the emotions that disturb peace. I mean, there's just so much happening around the world in Western worlds now. The Buddhist teachings have come to the West a lot. Not everyone can go to Thailand <laughs> or to Laos or to Vietnam or to Bhutan or whatever. So this teachings has really been spreading. I mean, look what you're doing. You're in Thailand. And you are giving teachings every day to anyone, anywhere in the world.
1: Yeah, with the internet nowadays, we can share these teachings all over the world. So I do live classes online three times a week. I do in-person classes here in Thailand. And I also travel around. I have books that I give away for free. I have podcast, YouTube channel, Facebook group, all these different things. But hitting on something that you were sharing is the mind is the boss, in the body is the employee. So, whatever's going on in the mind, the body's going to just follow. So, that sickness that you're talking about in the body, the bodily sickness, yeah, the mind is a big driver in that. That if the mind is unwell, then the body is going to be sickly as well. So, this emergence and this sharing of things like meditation and other teachings of the Buddha throughout the world is having a real impact because people can see that, yeah, when I meditate, My mind is more calm. And when my mind is more calm, I make better decisions in life. I'm not as aggressive and hostile as I used to be. This is actually working. This is the difference between a practice of rites, ritual, ceremonies, and worship. And then, you know, you might do that for an hour and then you go out on the parking lot and everyone's fighting and squabbling and upset and angry at each other. And, you know, the approach is, okay, if you do this rites, ritual, ceremonies, and worship, when you die, things will be better. But the Buddha's approach was, let me share wisdom that you can learn right now, you can learn it now, you can understand it now, and you can practice it now, and you can get the benefits now, you're going to have the results now, and it's not based on belief, so this is like a perfect... Teaching for the way that humans have evolved is that we tend to not be interested in believing things. We like to see the truth ourselves, which the Buddhist teachings are geared for that. And we like to have kind of instant gratification and we like to have results right now. So the Buddhist teachings are able to do that. There's still gradual training and gradual progress, but somebody who's learning this path, you know, I've had students in just two or three days in my classes come to me and say, you know, I got an email this morning before I came to your class. And since I've been studying with you the last two or three days, that email would have typically sent me into all kinds of stress and anxiety and anger. But now I understand why this is occurring. And I was able to be calm and polite and reply back in a very loving way. And this was just in a couple of days of training. You know, I've had people that in a couple of days or a couple of weeks, they report about the real improvements to the condition of their mind through reading the book or listening to the podcast or watching the YouTube channel or attending the live classes that I teach either online or in person. So if somebody is interested in improving the condition of the mind in their life, the Buddhist teachings are ideal for that. And more and more people are starting to see that with meditation being integrated into schools. I've seen police forces that are meditating before they go out on their patrol. Different occupations and different careers and different companies are starting to bring these practices into their life. And people are seeing the results. The reason why is because they truly work. The Buddha only taught things through his direct experience that he knew worked because he saw the condition of his mind improve. And his mind was the same as everyone else's mind by and large. So what worked for him to get to this peaceful and joyful mind is gonna work for other people too. So when you go back to the words of the Buddha, there's a lot of different teachings out there that share that they are Buddhist teachings. But what you need to get to is what's called the words of the Buddha. And this is the book series that I wrote. It's called the words of the Buddha, the path to enlightenment, revealing the hidden. And there's 13 books and In this book series, it's sharing strictly the words of the Buddha and then with my explanation and helping you to see the truth. But the Buddha spoke very clear, very concise, very precise. You can understand his words very readily. But it's nice to have some guidance from a teacher. And everybody that isn't a Buddha would need guidance from a teacher. The last Buddha that the world is currently aware of existed over 2,500 years ago. So every other person is going to need teachers and guidance. So these books and the resources and classes and my personal time to do one-on-one sessions with students, this is all available at no cost. And people can see the truth for themselves that the teachings are working to improve the condition of their mind in their life.
2: Well, it's obvious that you really are embodying this path, David, because you are passionate about sharing the wisdom and tools to find a peaceful mind. But you're also providing all these amazing resources, and you I guess you just do it by donation, right? And you're not charging for these as such. So is that how you found a way to continue the work you're
1: doing? Is it through donations or are you
2: independently wealthy? (laughs) I'm not independently wealthy. Um, (laughs) The
1: the students, if they would like, they're welcome to offer donations. I don't expect it. I don't require it. You know, there's no time where I say, okay, now's the time to give me money. Um, I never say (laughs) anything like that. When I was in business in the past, I made plenty of money. You know, the companies that I created made close to a million dollars a year, and I drove amazing cars and had amazing houses and all kinds of motorcycles, and I was able to easily afford anything and anything that I was interested in, in getting. But then... I realized that my mind was still discontent. It was still not peaceful. So I eliminated all of that. And that's not what you need to do in order to get to enlightenment. But I chose to let all that stuff go. And having discovered these teachings or rediscovered them, I then decided I was going to dedicate the rest of my life to sharing these teachings. That I had the money. I had the cars. I had all the amazing stuff. And none of that led to complete satisfaction. So now I don't have aspirations to be a millionaire. I don't have aspirations to be famous or anything like that. I'm just interested in helping individuals who have an interest to improve the condition of their mind in their life and I've set up in such a way that you're able to do that at no cost. So no matter where you live in the world, if you have an internet connection and or you would like to come to Thailand, you're welcome to do that. I can teach you online through personal guidance, through the classes that I teach, through the books and resources. Everything's offered at no cost. And then for people who are are more fortunate, they will tend to make donations on a regular basis. And what that does is it allows me here in Thailand at a very minimal cost to buy food, water, clothing, uh, have a little shelter, medical care, if I ever need that. And then it allows me to also help people that can't afford to go out and buy expensive books or go to expensive retreats. Instead, People in small villages in Africa or India or Pakistan or Egypt or any places in the world, you know, places like Syria and other places all throughout the world. They can download my books for free. They can attend the classes for free. They can get personal guidance for free at no cost. And the bit of donations that I get allows me to sustain my life and ensure that I can get the basic necessities that I need because that's all I'm interested in. Clothing, food, water, shelter. You know, If I need medical care, then I've got a little bit of funds to do that. But essentially when the donations are made to me, I then use that money to host classes with Zoom, or I'll use that money to create an audiobook, and then I'll share that audiobook for free. So I'm using some of the donations to sustain my life, getting the basic necessities, but then I use some of those donations to be able to facilitate the continued sharing of these teachings. So everywhere that I teach, there's never a price, there's not a menu of services, there's not a requirement to pay anything But if you would like to donate, you're welcome to. And some people choose to do that and some people don't. But my support and my guidance, my help, isn't contingent on whether somebody chooses to donate or not.
2: Well, just like the Buddha and Buddhists, the followers of Buddha would just go and go to each home every day and be open to receiving whatever food or Mm -hmm. gifts that were given. But it's like you're doing that in modern day times. And then your needs are always met. You know, when your needs are simple, first of all, it's easy to fulfill your needs. But there's something more, isn't there, David? It's like when you are open to be a service, you are provided for. It's like life takes care of you. You are receiving. You're in the flow. Whatever it is you want, you can bring into being. You can manifest into the physical to support you and your, your purpose in life.
1: Yeah, this is the natural law of gamma of cause and effect or action and result. If whatever you put out, you know, it's gonna come back to you. So what I put out is I put out generosity, I put out loving kindness and compassion and an interest to help people, and I do this without any expectation of anything in return. And then what tends to happen is people choose to share with me and they are generous with me and they're loving and kind and compassionate with me. And you know, they decide to share at different times. And um, this provides for the basic needs because I don't have this craving or this desire to have the latest greatest pair of shoes, the latest greatest clothing, the latest greatest phone, and things like this. My expenses are very minimal. You know I can survive on about1500 to $2,000 a month. And here in Thailand, That goes a long way to support what it is that I I need to accomplish, both my basic necessities and sustaining life and then also using some of those funds for sharing these teachings like purchasing Zoom or purchasing lights or a microphone or being able to travel from my home to the temple and share the teachings at the temple or purchasing a computer to be able to do live streaming or, you know, be able to go to the United States of America and have a retreat. So people sometimes invite me to different places in the world. They will support my travel expense and my food and lodging. And then when I show up, I I don't require any payment for my services. I'm just there to help them and if they are willing to support me to travel and support my basic necessities to live you know then I can share these teachings without any expectation of anything in return and when you're sharing this way and the people that you're sharing with understand then they are willing to share with you where in the business world, you know, this wouldn't necessarily always work because you have to be sure that you pay your employees, that you pay your rent, that you pay marketing costs. You need to have a certain price. But for me, I've arranged my life in such a way that I just need basic things. I don't have a craving for all these different things. I just wear very simple clothing and get a simple haircut, eat simple food And uh, I just focus on sharing these teachings. I don't do extravagant things. I just focus on helping people to learn and understand so they can experience the results of these teachings.
2: You know, you were at a place in your life where you had it all. And you arrived there and realized that you weren't happy. So you began to search and seek your happiness. Do you think that or? people here in the Western world that that's an experience people have to go through. It's like they have to strive to get their degrees and make more money and you know, go through the achievement cycle to discover. But that isn't what really brings happiness, it's what they're searching for by trying to accomplish and achieve and attain it's not going to give them what they want so do you think that that's part of why our culture set up like this to get us to the point where we can have so much and still be miserable and unhappy inside
1: i don't think it's set up that way intentionally i think it's just become that because there's so much craving and desire in the mind, this mental longing and strong eagerness for material possessions or wealth or fame, fortune, these kind of things, that that's what people conform to because that's what they see around them. And we've been taught in Western culture that these are the things that bring happiness. And for somebody like me that reached that and having all those material possessions, and then I realized my mind still wasn't peaceful, that's what motivated me, among other things, to then go in this direction. But not everybody's going to have that same experience. So if somebody decides to learn from the example of the Buddha, for example, he was a king. You know, He was going to become a king. He was a prince destined to become a king. He had everything in the world, but yet he decided that that wasn't what he needed in order to achieve peacefulness. I wasn't a king, but I had a lot of money at one time and a lot of possessions and realized that that wasn't what was going to lead to happiness. You can actually have possessions and have a career and have children and all these things and still live a peaceful and joyful life. You just need to learn the wisdom of how to do that. So there's people like me and others who choose to live a very simple life and we find that this is our way of getting to peacefulness and joy. And then through our discovery of the teachings of the natural laws of existence, we can then share those teachings with people like you and others who maybe have a career and who do charge prices and do have children or possessions. There's ways for you to have these things and still get to peacefulness and joy when you understand teachings and how to practice them. So as long as someone continues to believe that its material possessions is going to lead to happiness, they'll continue to experience discontent feelings because there's no external object that's going to bring lasting fulfillment and lasting satisfaction. So If you learn that and that's all you're exposed to in your culture, then you're stuck in this cycle of just continuing to want more and more and more and acquire more and more and more and more and more and more. And And eventually you might come to the conclusion that none of this stuff is creating lasting satisfaction. And the more you talk with somebody like me or you take classes with me and you read the books that I share, you'll understand how to restrain the mind and pull it back where you can live this middle way where you don't have indulgence, but you also don't sacrifice either. You live this middle way where you have the things that you need and you can live a peaceful and joyful life as long as the mind's not chasing after its wants and its desires, because as long as the mind keeps chasing after things, it'll never be content because it keeps wanting more and more and more and more and more. So it's possible to live in a Western world and have these different things that you need in your life and live a wonderful life with a husband, a wife, or children, or have a business, or partners, and different things like this. It's possible to make money and still get to enlightenment. So these things are all possible. A person needs to understand the wisdom of how to do that, and then be able to implement it in their life with guidance, and see how to do it, and that it actually is working. A Buddhist teacher isn't or shouldn't be telling you what to do in your life. We shouldn't be making decisions for you. Instead, we're just providing you the guidance of the Buddhist teachings, and then you independently verify those teachings and you make your own decisions. It's oftentimes students will come to me and they'll say, okay, David, I've got this decision or this decision, which one should I take? And I say, I'm not here to make decisions for you. I can share teachings with you that apply to the decision that you're about to make but then you need to make the decision for yourself. So a Buddhist teacher should be essentially like a life coach, but we're not charging a a fee. And everything that we share is based on the wisdom of these natural laws of existence. And then you cultivate the wisdom in your mind to make wise decisions on your own. That's what this path is all about is cultivating wisdom and being a wise decision maker so that you can make decisions on your own. If I always made decisions for students, they would be attached to me and they'd have to come to me for every single decision. That's not what I'm interested in having happen and that's not what leads to enlightenment. But by sharing wisdom and having the student independently verify that and cultivate their own wisdom, now they can independently make all the most wonderful decisions with wisdom that lead to wholesome outcomes
2: yeah that's beautiful and because it's not about having to live uh, you know amongst existence you can live a secular life in fact your Mm -hmm. life is more successful Mm -hmm. if you apply this in in the world right in the world you, you know you'd have a happier workforce you'd probably be more successful in business you'd attract what you need your relationships are more harmonious so for people who are curious about the Path and to, to follow the wisdom uh, that was given to us by the Buddha. Um, it's, it's really twofold, isn't it? It's, it's a practice. There are practices, there are meditation practices that you need to incorporate into your life, as well as then the teachings that help to direct our thinking processes. So we have a different way of looking at how to be in the world. Is, uh, is that correct in saying that it's like it's twofold it's it's learning these wisdoms and how they apply but also we have to do a practical a practice of quieting the mind or observing the mind anyway.
1: yeah this is a hundred percent correct that you're learning certain teachings through the guidance of a teacher with various resources, Then you're reflecting on those teachings and independently verifying them for yourself that they're the truth. And then you're practicing the teachings, incorporating them into your life and improving the decisions that you're making. So essentially what you're doing is you're rewiring the mind where in the past, before someone knows these teachings, certain thing happens and right away their mind goes to anger and frustration. So what you do is you learn how to now Experience that same exact thing but now instead of the mind reverting to anger you've rewired the mind to now understand why this is occurring and now you don't revert to anger that we actually cause our own anger another way to explain it is That we're kind of forging this new path. That in the past, when something would occur, there would be this anger arose and we would go down this well worn path of anger and hostility. You know, we've cleared this path, we've walked this path many times, and we know where that ends. You know, it ends in troubled relationships and difficulties and stress and anxiety and troubles. So, what we're doing is we're kind of forging this new path in the forest and we're clearing out the bushes and we're working this path and it's it's real work and you're rewiring the mind you're learning how to go down this new way of life and then as you do that that path gets more and more worn that when things happen, your mind doesn't go to anger. It still remains peaceful. And this old path that you used to travel down, that overgrows with bushes and branches and the grass grows back and it gets to the point where your mind no longer travels down that path. Because you forged this new path, you've rewired the mind, you've created these new pathways in the mind of instead of reacting with hostility and bitterness in a situation, you respond in a certain situation. So sometimes people think that Buddhism is all about being passive, but it's not actually. It's about Understanding that hostility and aggression and arguments doesn't lead anywhere wholesome, and that's a reaction to something that's happening. But instead, you learn how to now respond to something in a wholesome way with your wisdom that will bring it to a better conclusion rather than the bitterness and resentfulness that we might have had in the past.
2: Well, I really relate to that. You know, I've studied so many of these practices, applied them in my life, and it has totally transformed how I operate in the world and how I see the world, and it's just made my life much more pleasant <laughs> and enjoyable, but it's like, you know, it's it, it, there's more peacefulness, right? So we're here to experience that peace into the joy, and when you're in unknown situations or challenging situations you have a way to process that and work with it so you can find an ideal outcome down the track least that's my experience And if i didn't have those tools if i didn't learn some of these practices my life would be much more difficult and much more stressful and you pay the price and i think that's the most important thing for me the reason why we want to take advantage of these wonderful teachings and resources that you have made available and others like you and many Buddhist centers and retreats and teachings that are out there is to help us like the original Buddha to find more peace within ourselves to find more joy and to find a greater connection to who we are and why we're here and how we can serve others. So it's just, uh, it's beautiful what you're doing, David. You know, a beautiful journey you're on, and obviously you're touching so many people's lives. Uh, I'd like to give the website where people, you have lots of resources with classes and personal consultations you're offering, but let's give the major link that people can go to and from there they can learn everything
1: else that you're offering. Sure, the way to get connected with all the resources that I share is by going to buddhadailywisdom.com. From this website, you'll be able to see and access the online learning programs, the in-person retreats, the personal guidance, the free books, everything that I share in terms of podcasts and YouTube videos and all these other resources. So you can even connect with me directly there through the contact page so it's buddhadailywisdom.com
2: yeah you offer so much it's so tempting i'd like to get to thailand you know good thai food good thai silk mm. and good thai elephants mm. <laughs> you know, lots of amazing things in thailand um david it's just been a real pleasure to have you on the show and for you to share this passion that you have that It's allowing you to touch people all over the world it's very inspirational i have to say and it all started with a discontent childhood (laughs) and here you are right grateful to everything you experienced because it brought you to this time in your life and your real purpose so thank you for everything you do and for the wonderful gifts you're bringing to the world it's really been a pleasure to have this conversation with you
1: yeah thank you for inviting me on your show and appreciate all the listeners who are choosing to understand these teachings, and I'm here to help you and support you as you choose to reach out for guidance.
2: And I hope people will take advantage of the wonderful generosity that you are offering, David. And um, we've come to the end of the show, and I just want to Thank everyone for listening, and I want to remind everyone that if you'd like to get the archive shows, not only to the Love Code, but to the other program I do on Progressive Radio Network, which is the What Women Must Know podcast, then you can either go to my Facebook page, which is What Women Must Know, or you can go to my website, which is Dr. Cheryl Selman, and that's DR. CherylSelma.com opt in there and all of the wonderful conversations I have in my podcast get emailed to you every week so you don't have to miss any of them and you can listen to them at your leisure. And to to all of you listening, thank you so much. David Roylands, thank you so much for being with us from Chiang Mai, Thailand today. And until next week, may your week be filled with love, peace, and harmony. Bye for now.